0: Thanks for joining us this morning. I'm uh, Jeff, I'm one of the elders here at the church. I have the privilege of continuing on in our series this morning from 2 Timothy. Just to give you a little bit of an overview of where we're going this morning. I've been excited for several weeks to get to this chapter because um, it is just packed full of practical disciple-making advice. And so this morning, We're going to uh, dig in and look uh, very closely at what Paul does in verses 10 through 17 this morning as he encourages Timothy and he reminds Timothy and challenges Timothy to keep on making disciples in the church of Ephesus, where he is. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's writing to Timothy, who has been left in Ephesus to lead the ministry there. But this letter also is passed around to other churches for instruction. Two weeks ago, I asked you this question. What are you striving to be in your faith? And uh, that's my question again this morning, because I know what happens. Um, Usually, if I'm not preaching, I'm sitting where you are, and uh, I get asked a question like that, and then by the time I hit the donuts, you know, that question has disappeared. And so I don't want to lose the opportunity for that question this morning. What are you striving to be in your faith? What, what is your goal? What are you running hard after? And my challenge you this morning is like it has been for multiple weeks, to be a disciple maker. And so this morning, we'll look a little closer at what that is. If you're not there yet, chapter 3, we'll start at verse 10, go to verse 17. There are Bibles in the back, I encourage you to grab one, follow along, use your phone, Uh, whatever works best for you, but please read along. We're in the ESV version this morning. Paul picks up in his writing to Timothy in verse 10. You, however, and he's connecting what he had just told Timothy. If you weren't with us last week, remember we hit the false gospels and the danger of believing false gospels. And we broke tradition here and I used a whiteboard and you remember the formula. Do you remember the formula? Our beliefs create our values and values are observed in our actions. So false gospels created beliefs that developed values which were observable in actions which we looked at last week. And so Paul's again encouraging Timothy like, hey, you're not doing that. That's not you. You know the real true way, and he's going to affirm him. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings, what happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Again, Paul's affirming, Timothy, you have not strayed and been deceived by the false gospels, the false teachers that are penetrating the church, and that's the Amazing thing, as we said last week, this was happening in churches. And all so Paul's saying, look, stand against that stuff. But when you do, there's going to be persecutions. This isn't going to go easy for you, Timothy. And so I want to walk through these verses, and then we'll tie in some applications. First, he says, Timothy, you have followed my, and gives a list. You have followed me, Timothy. And I want you to notice one thing about all the things that come after this. These are actions and attitudes that Paul displayed in his life. He doesn't say, hey, Timothy, remember when you sat in the classroom and learned all these things from me? No, he says, you have followed my life. You have observed how I have lived and what I have believed in and what I'm doing with what I believed in. He's been faithful in following the example of Paul. Well, what had Paul been modeling for Timothy? Look at what the scriptures say in verse 10. It says that Paul had been living out something that Timothy modeled like a teaching, the pure gospel the right belief, the right doctrines, the right way to live out your faith. More importantly, after this, is you have followed a conduct. Timothy followed a conduct, the way he led his life. And look at some of the words he had observed and followed the patience that Paul had displayed. Ouch. Remember I said we're always being discipled by something? Our phones, our TV shows, our books, our music, something is always discipling us. Paul had modeled patience. I think one of the hard parts of being a Paul for someone, and we've talked about that, is maybe we're afraid to let people into our life. And see, we're not so patient. Now, Patience isn't a perfect thing. It's something you strive after, something you work for. And so he said, you have observed my patience. In other words, he had a long fuse. He stuck in there against hard times. He was patient. He says, you observed and followed how I was steadfast, how I endured, how I stuck to the message and a mission of Christ, even when it was hard. I was steadfast. And he says, you have followed my love. And the word love is not an emotional love, but a steadfast, sacrificial love of God and of people. That is what Paul had been modeling. But then he adds some more. He says, look, you have followed my aim in life. Think about that. Timothy had observed that Paul had a passion and a priority to live the way Jesus lived and do the things Jesus did in his life. His aim in life was to glorify Christ and then to live on mission in such a way that the mission of Christ would be lived out. And he, so he says, you've also followed my faith, the convictions of the gospel, the belief in who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished and the trust that nothing outside of Christ for our salvation is trustworthy. And so you remember he said things in chapter two, like don't get caught in goofy arguments. Don't get tied up in discussions that will lead you away from this true belief. In other words, don't gather up in your little theological circles and debate how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. You know, like, don't, don't do that stuff, Timmy. That's, that's silly, that's foolish, and it'll distract people. And so in verse 11, he says, look, you've seen my persecutions and my sufferings. And then he lists where they took place. Three cities, if you want to read them later. Acts chapter 13 and 14. These three places, actually, um, I think Timothy came from Lystra. That was his hometown. But these three cities are mentioned, and again, read them in Acts. But in every one of these cities, Paul entered, he proclaims, preaches the gospel, starts making disciples, and he gets run out of town either being stoned or beaten or the threat of that. And so you'd think one city, that's enough. No, Paul just gets run out of town, beat up, and goes to the next one, proclaims the gospel. And so in verse 11, he says, I endured, yet from all of those the Lord rescues me. And then in verse 12, mark this down if you would, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. What's the goal? What's the goal? Live what? A godly life, to pursue living a godly life. And when you do that, we talked about some of the false gospels last week, right? Prosperity gospel, political gospel, all these things. When you live seeking a godly life and a disciple-making lifestyle, you will be, what? Persecuted. Because you're butting heads, taking truth against untruth. And so Paul says, look, the aim is godly life, a godly life that points our life to the person of Christ. Verse 13, he goes on, he says, but there's still gonna be evil people Who deceive and are being deceived. I want you to notice a progression that you see in verse 13. Evil people, imposters will go from what? Bad to worse. Write this down or file it away. You can't manage sin. You play with it. It's like a stick of dynamite that you think the fuse went out on, but it didn't. It'll go from bad to worse. Too many of us dance on the edge of sin thinking, I can manage this. This is okay. It'll take you further and further away from Christ. So know the danger. He says, look, there's imposters and this Sinful lifestyle and teaching will go from bad to worse. It's dangerous. And so verse 14, he jumps back in and gives Timothy a little shot in the arm. Encouragement. Verse 14, what's it say? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it. He's going back and saying, stick to the pure gospel, stick to the pure mission of teaching the gospel and making disciples of all people who will continue to teach the gospel. There it is. Pursue a godly life, fully trained, fully equipped, that will go out and make disciples. Verses 15 and 16. Some of the better-known verses, at least in 2 Timothy, you might have heard them just packed full of theological significance and practical advice for us. Look what it says with me. He says, You've known from your childhood how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, Verse 15, notice that scripture points us points us to salvation in Christ, through Christ. Not one way, but the way. And then in verse 16, all scriptures breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, reproof for correction, and for training in righteousness. And think about that for a moment with me. All scripture is breathed out by God. When you open your Bible, when we look at this and read, this is not a bunch of people who have written down good sayings, good thoughts. These are the words of God. Breathed out by God, inspired men to write down the very thoughts of God, the very words of God in ways that reflect their character. But it is God's word. And you wouldn't have to go too far today to find someone who would like to argue with you about that. Because whenever you dig into the truth, whenever you lean upon the truth and you teach the truth, you will be persecuted and face persecution. I don't like what God says. Those are his words. Three things I want you to think about. First is that these are the very words of God, in other words, they're inspired, which it says here. This word is inspired, the holy words of God. Second is they're inerrant, they're 100% truthful and trustworthy in your life and my life because it is God's very word. Third, it is authoritative. It is authoritative. It speaks to every situation and every area of life. It has authority because it's God's word. Now, would it have that if it was simply a human's writings? No. Would it stay in the test of time if this were not God's words? Faithful, truthful, you can look. I mean, this thing has stood the test of time. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's authoritative. And so he says earlier in 2, chapter 2, don't get caught up in goofy debates, Timothy. Just remember, this is God's word. What it says is true. Don't change it. Don't debate it. Just tell people what it says and train them in it. I want you to notice another thing that those set of verses say. That God is a speaking God. God is a speaking God. He's a personal God who has spoke and still speaks today through his scriptures. To you and I. God still wants to interact with you and me through his scripture. So when we dig in, when we listen, when we study, when we meditate over, God will speak to you. He will speak to you. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe God's word speaks to every area of a person's life? Do you believe that you can open scripture and say, this can give me guidance, this can give me direction for every single area of my life, or is this a supplemental tool for you? Well, if I talk to some people who are wise and they'll give me good advice, then maybe we'll check it out and see if that was accurate. Scripture speaks to every area of life. And so Paul said, Look, this scripture, first and foremost, makes people wise for salvation. Makes them wise for salvation. Salvation through faith in Christ, not according to knowledge. Not according to traditions, not according to other things, but God's word from beginning till end is about Christ and him saving his people back to himself, redeeming, restoring so we can become sons and daughters again. So first, the most important piece of scripture, it makes us wise for salvation because God's word is about himself, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his offer of salvation. In verse 16, he says, not only for salvation, that someone can read this, and maybe many of you have had that experience where before you knew Christ, you read some scripture or heard a message and something clicked. Remember? Remember? I remember my life that happening. It's like somebody turned on the light. I get it. God's word will bring people to salvation. And then for us who are saved, he says God's word is profitable. Follow with me in verse 16. God's word is profitable. In other words, it yields great returns better than any stock investment you will make. It yields great returns. It produces a fruit in our life that God wants to see happen. It's, it's profitable because it will transform us to be like Christ and live doing what Christ did. He said it teaches us. That means it instructs, renews our minds, and realigns us to who we were meant to be. Now that's not about information, but about transformation. Remember last week, we talked a little bit about that. How often we seek knowledge void of wisdom. We are to grow in wisdom more than knowledge. Or you're just a chatterbox. Able to memorize some scripture and spit it out, but your life reflects anything but that that looks like Christ. He says it's good for reproof, and that's what reproof is it'll bring to light, it'll illuminate our lives and where we are out of alignment with the holy, righteous God we love. It'll it'll be just like a spotlight on the sin in our life and say, what are you going to do about this? How are you going to change to be in conformity to who I am? It's for reproof. Scripture points to where we think wrong, we believe wrong, we act wrong, and we live wrong. It'll expose the false gospels we get pulled into, and it'll expose the idols in your life, that which gets your affections, your desires, your passions. And he says scripture is also good for correction, correction. And that means to make straight again. And the wording used in this uh, portion of the text was referring to like a broken bone in your body you break your arm it has to be reset right I broke my arm once as a kid and I remember it kind of had this you thing going on right well it had to be reset back in place so it could grow properly scripture is good to correct us or if you like uh, the image of carpentry like a level it'll tell you where you're off and reveal that to you. And all of that for training in righteousness. It means to be instructed. To build up. To work out, if you will, in our lives the very things of God. So our ways, our actions, our passions, and our priorities align with his. It's, it's pursuing the moral standards of God. Now, you want to get people riled up, start talking about the moral standards of our age, you'll get persecuted pretty quickly, right? And notice the wording, training. I know I say this a lot, but it doesn't say teaching, it says training. That means it's not about sitting and learning and Disciple making is not a classroom exercise. Disciple making is life on life, and we'll look at that in a minute. But those were the very words of Christ again in Matthew 28. Remember the Great Commission go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. Not teaching. Teaching them to obey. Sounds exactly like what Paul is reminding here. You followed me. He taught Timothy to obey. How to obey. Because he did some things we'll look at here in a moment. Again, disciple making fails when we're not training disciples. When people are too comfortable just sitting in the stands watching the game instead of being in the game because you've been trained to be in the game. And the objective of this is found in verse 17. The objective. So that the man of God may be complete or competent and equipped for every good work. Pursue a godly life pursue the right examples, be trained in the right things so that every Christ follower is equipped for every good work. Think about that. Equipped means to be fit, to be capable, be ready to be used. And the good work is to continue on with the proclamation of the gospel and making disciple makers all through life. And so Timothy I'm telling you to keep up the good work. Timothy passed this around to the other churches, so they do the same thing, so we're equipping people for every good work. And you say, well, where are you coming up with that, Jeff? Chapter 2, verse 2, if you will, of 2 Timothy. Timothy was told by Paul, teach the things I have taught you to faithful men who will then teach them to other people. You see the progression? Take what you were taught, how you were trained, pass them on to somebody else that'll do the same thing with other people. Think about that. There's there's a call to be involved for everybody. Pass it on. And so in chapter 2, 21, he says, make them ready for every good work. In our verse today, in verse 17, equip them for every good work. Let me add one more scripture verse that I've got marked up in my Bibles um, since I became a Christian. It's the words of Jesus in John chapter 14. And it says this, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. Jesus speaking, whoever believes in me will also do the works I do. It doesn't say if you feel like it. It doesn't say if it works for you. Jesus said, look, you believe in me, the very things I did, you will do also. There's a very clear and compelling call to disciple-making in Scripture. Here's our takeaways, and I'm going to jump into this fairly quick with you because um, I asked uh, my wife and my daughter this week, I said, what, you know, if you could say what are the missing pieces that people might be asking, well, what would some of those be? Well, I'm going to hit some of those with you that really are displayed so wonderfully by God's Word as He spoke to us. Many of us in this room have never been discipled, so we're not sure exactly what this means or what it looks like. It's confusing, right? We've been taught pretty well to come to church and know the songs, know the liturgy and follow along, okay? We, we know that stuff, but when we start tossing around the disciple-making language, it's a little confusing. There's three things that Paul did here that are essential to disciple making. First, all disciple making begins with including people in your life. I started with verse 10 and I wanna refer you back to that, that Timothy followed all these different things in Paul's life. Disciple making begins when you include somebody in your life. You open the door for questions, instructions, training in righteousness to be a disciple maker. We have made it a classroom exercise. How did Timothy learn how to be patient and steadfast? Because he observed it in Paul's life. He had been with him. The key for disciple-making, I'm going to use the Paul Timothy language, is finding a Paul that's available. But here's the most important piece. Finding a Timothy that desires to find a Paul. You really can't find a Timothy. At least that's not been very successful for me in a lot of years. See someone and say, oh, I had a disciple then. They'd be a great person to disciple. But guess what? If they don't want to be discipled, you're going to get frustrated and tired and aggravated. Been there, done that. So the first step in this whole process is you got to have Timothys who want to grow into disciple makers and seek out a Paul. I can't give you that desire. Nobody else can give you that desire except Jesus. Second thing we see in this passage is you include them in your life and you invest in them. In other words, you instruct them on what it looks like to have a Christ-like love and a Christ-like life of serving Jesus. Using scripture so that they are built up, equipped for every good work. Too often, disciple making relationships just kind of get into a problem solving thing. Help me solve my problem, and then we'll be good. And does that sound a lot like last week's therapeutic gospel? God, just take away the problems in life so I can just, you know, feel comfortable and happy. And so you got to guard that. You got to guard this relationship and make sure it's very specific. And helping people mature in their faith so they know how to have wisdom. And they're ready for use. And the last one is this, ignite. You see it with here, ignite. The verse 17, you do all this so the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. In other words, you equip to release with the expectation that they're going to do the same thing and follow what you did. It's not about making dependent or codependent people in your life. It's not about having relationships where they're going to ask your approval for every decision they make. No, it's about equipping them to think like Christ, to love like Christ, and to serve like Christ. So they go out and do the same thing. So how do we see that in the text? Very quickly. And I've got about five minutes till we're done. I might stretch it just a bit. Donuts will wait. I said a little bit. The first one is about including. It's about bringing people into your life. And so how do you find a Paul if you're willing to desire that? Again, it starts with the Timothy wanting to be a disciple-maker? Well, you look around and you watch some people that are a little further down the road in their Christian faith than you. They don't have to have a seminary degree, folks. They're just someone who has walked with Christ a while. They don't have to be old like me. Can't be. But you find someone who, when you look at their life, reflects this passion and priority to love Christ and to live like Christ and to be on ministry and on mission for Christ. You you look around, you observe, you listen. You say, gosh, I think I I can mature my faith by being around that person. Then you ask them, would you be willing to spend some time with me, help me to do this? They don't have to have all the answers, they won't, I don't, you won't if you become a Paul or when you become a Paul, let me use that language. You don't have to have all the answers, but you do have to display what it looks like to dig in to help find the answers. How to live in a wise way. And You might say, well, this is kind of a strange thing for you to tell us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He's saying, I have set my life on following Christ to such a degree that join me and learn from me because I'm gonna point you to Christ, that's who I'm learning from. You see, it's not that hard. And so what would you do if, you have someone approach you and say, I wanna grow in being a disciple maker. I I I wanna start this process. Well, first, you do some very simple things. When you include them in your life, you just let them observe how you pray. Here's how I pray, here's what I pray about. Join me in praying. And so you wanna help them See how you use Scripture to even pray. Show them how you study and apply Scripture to your life. Show them what it means to look at some Scripture verses and say, okay, what's, what's God revealing about Himself and what's He calling me to change or to do or to model in my life? You just do that with them. You show them how to process life by the gospel. Why is the world a mess it's in? Because the sin in the world is opposing God in his holiness. Sin is rampant. God is holy. How do we process troubles in life? Through the gospel. Show them how to develop and live out a Jesus-centered life. Have the very words that Paul used in First Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. That's scary to say that. Show them how you disciple other people and allow them then to be a participant in that. A couple of real quick questions you might have. Were these relationships forever? Probably not. Probably not. Could be. I have some pause in my life still that from 30 years ago, maybe, 25 for sure, that we still interact, not regularly, but we'll talk back and forth. Are these seasonal things? Could be. Could be if you're wrestling through a specific issue in life. They will be able to help you grow through. Second, Include them, invest in them. The tool is scripture. The tool is scripture. Did I say the tool is scripture? I think I'll say it again. The tool is scripture. Why? Because this is God's word. It's inspired, it's inerrant, it's authoritative speaks to every area of life. So we should believe everything it says and obey everything that it teaches because it's God's word. Did I say that? I thought I said that. So invest in. We, we want to make sure that as we include people in our lives, we invest in them so they begin to understand how to read scripture and how to apply scripture. It's the source of all wisdom and guidance, so we go there first. It has authority over every area of life, so it forms my beliefs, and then my values, and then my actions. And so I can swim back upstream if my actions aren't right. You sit down, you filter all your questions, your problems, your opportunities through Scripture, and you let your Timothy see how you do it. Matter of fact, you include him in it. It's God's word. Uh, you dig in it together, interacting over passages to arrive at obedience and wisdom. So you always bring your Bibles. You always seek wisdom. You hold one another accountable by what the scriptures say so that you're honoring Christ with your lives. Need a seminary degree? Nope. Need to know your Bibles? Yep. How do you get to know your Bibles? You read it and you work at it and you grow in it. The third thing is ignite. So, you want to be on the disciple-making pathway and include people in your life. You listen for a Timothy that might come and say, "I I want to grow." and be faithful. You invest in them using scripture. Here's a key. You ignite them to go do the same thing. Too often, I think in disciple-making relationships, we, we almost do a bait and switch. Like, this is great. I'll include you in my life. I'll invest in you. And we forget to tell them, guess what? At some point, I'm going to tell you you got to be doing this with somebody and then I'm gonna check to make sure you're doing it. Whoa, right? I mean, think about this. We live in this society today that is so academic driven and we have so much information that when you fit that into your disciple making uh, scheme of life, if, if academics is the standard, you will never feel like you know enough right? That's like, well, I didn't go to seminary. I'm not a pastor. I haven't walked with the Lord 25, 30 years. I just don't know enough. That's not what's being said here, folks. Guard against the knowledge alone driven model. We need to know sober wise to live. Three and a half years, Jesus had to train his followers to be disciple-makers. Three and a half years. And what happened? Jesus ascended, they went into the world and made disciple-makers. Read the book of Acts. And what has happened? The gospel turned the world upside down. And you and I sit here today because there's been some faithful disciple-makers who talked to us and modeled this for us. We are the fortunate recipients of people saying yes to being a disciple maker, amen? You probably have a thought in your mind of who that is. So ignite, being a disciple maker, friends, is not an option if you're proclaiming to be a follower of Jesus. Bad news for you. It's expected by Jesus. A quick side comment. Maybe we just need to learn to see every relationship in life as a disciple-making relationship. I mean, think about it in your marriage. If you see your marriage as a disciple-making relationship, think about including and investing around scripture. It's going to change, right? Because this is, what what did I say? God's word, right? It's going to change. What about our parenting? remember last week I used the belief develop, um, beliefs develop values which are observable in actions. How often we try to correct actions with going back to seeing that beliefs and values have been formed by something. Disciple-making in our parenting. What about disciple-making in your workplace, your friends that you go to work with every day? What about your neighbors? You know, you get it. You know what I'm saying. Go into all the world and make disciples. You can do it. Include, invest, ignite. Simple terms, yes? Include invest, ignite. When you do that, I guarantee you, you will feel like uh, I'm right where Jesus wants me to be, because you are. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, we are grateful for your scriptures, the things that they teach us because they are your words these are things spoken out by you to give us an understanding of who you are and of who we are and what you want us to be and then what you want us to do. This morning, as we've looked into this scripture in 2 Timothy. You've reminded us that we're all to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I pray for those who have heard this, that are wrestling with this. The Lord this might have brought some clarity today. For those who would say, man, I get it. What's next? I, I would say, Lord, help them to find a Paul. And if someone wants to be a Paul and is not sure, talk to me or Zach or Scott or Mark, we would love to help train you and teach you how to be a disciple maker. We would love to do that. So, Lord, help us all say yes. Do the very things that Paul told Timothy, which Paul modeled from you. In Jesus' name, amen.